So we're down to day three of this podcast series where we're going to be talking about the common financial planning mistakes that are sabotaging your retirement. If you were with me day one and day two, we figured out yours to financial freedom, yours to retirement based on what you're doing right now. And then the next day we talked about how do we come up with a plan that makes sense that's going to get us on track to where we want to be. And even after you've done all of this, what you're probably going to realize as we go through this exercise is that there are so many little mistakes that we make that hugely sabotage our plan for financial success and we're going to talk about all of them today we're going to talk about incorrect protection for yourself and your assets we're going to talk about dead money and what you should be doing about it incorrect asset allocation we've already covered under or over rebalancing both of these can be huge issues and we're going to talk a little bit more about tax inefficiencies and other mistakes that are super easy to fix once we know how to acknowledge them to recognize them so let's get started Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you're thinking that the only path to retirement is working harder, saving more, and investing in the stock market till you hit 65, I invite you to the 10X Your Financial Freedom Through Real Estate Experience. This free virtual coaching event from September 7th through the 14th is going to be a game changer. And yes, I know that you can do it even in the current market with interest rates the way they are and even through a recession because our students are doing just that. And on day two, you get to meet some of them and hear their stories, how they have used strategies to get to six figures in passive income and save six figures in taxes in this market. So if you're tired, burnt out, and ready to take back control of your time and income, if you're struggling to get your first long-term or short-term rental and don't want to learn from costly mistakes, if you're ready to go from a handful of rentals to 10xing your cash flow, I'm going to go over my proven framework that I used to get to financial freedom at 41 and that hundreds of our members have used. Plus, we will be figuring out your action plan, taking into account your risk appetite goals and resources. We'll also figure out your next step to help you actually move the needle so you can accelerate financial freedom while paying less in taxes and creating the recession resilient portfolio. I want you to go ahead and register for the event at generationalwealthmd.com slash event in lowercase and I'll see you soon. Okay, guys. What are the most common mistakes that we make that unknowingly are sabotaging? We, we're, we're sabotaging our own retirement because of these, right? Um, you've already come up with where you are right now, right? You're on track to retiring in X number of years. You used the retirement calculator. You figured it out. You decided that you wanted to make a shift, hopefully. And we talked about asset allocation next. You've changed your plan. You have your investment policy statement. But are you sure you're doing everything correctly? Are you sure you aren't still making some mistakes? Okay, let me go over what I have seen people commonly make, um, you know, um, these very, very common mistakes that I see people making over and over again. Um, and um, hopefully you're able to take some of this and make those tiny tweaks that you need to do to kind of streamline everything so you're really on track for retirement the way, um, you know, at the the you know, the time that you want to, right? So it has to be on your timeline. So the first one I want to talk about is protection, right? We talk a lot about optimization of our portfolio, um, but I think protection is something that gets sidetracked. 
And so when we talk about protection, I'm talking about protection for yourself and for your portfolio. So just to give you a broad overview, most of us have home insurance, auto insurance, malpractice insurance, right? Some things we don't necessarily always think about, but I think you should have in the back of your mind. There are three other things I want you to think about, right? Long-term disability insurance. Now, it's always better when you get this when you're younger. You want to make sure it's own occupation. And sometimes you can have group long-term disability insurance, and then you think, okay, well, you know, I'm getting it for my group. Do I really need to have personal a, a personal policy? My opinion, and this is what I did, is that when you're younger, it's easy to get a relatively inexpensive policy. So get it and hold on to it. Uh, make sure you have cost of living adjustment on it. You have a rider for cost of living adjustment. You have return to work and residual disability riders on there. Make sure you have that. Even if it's a small amount, as long as you can up that, if you need to, if you have a job transition, for some reason now you don't have your group insurance policy, you can still bank on your personal policy and hopefully you acquired this when you were younger so it wasn't as expensive, right? So that's one thing, long-term disability. The next one is going to be life insurance. And there is a lot of confusion over life insurance. I was fortunate when I was, you know, right out of training, you oftentimes don't think about life insurance till you start having kids, right? But once you have kids, the question is always going to be group policy versus own policy. The thing with a group policy, again, similar to your long-term disability policy, is that the group policy is often tied to your place of employment, and then you can always purchase it later, but it ends up being oftentimes more expensive than having your own personal policy. So if you're younger and you're, uh, you're just getting out of training or you're in training, it's probably the perfect time to uh, go ahead and um, price out your personal policies, you can get something that's relatively inexpensive, but definitely pays to have your own um, life insurance policy. Now, the question then is going to be, you have term policies, term policies with return of premium, whole life insurance. And that's a lot of times now there's this new verbiage around it called infinite banking. Um, and I've heard so many physicians, ha I've had discussions with so many physicians about this. I'm going to tell you what my opinion is. You will hear most people in the space say that term insurance makes the most sense because it's relatively inexpensive. It gives you a product that gets you to where you need to be. It gives you coverage till your kids are older, right? That's what you use as a basis to figure out how much you need in terms of coverage, how long you need it for. Um, and it's very, very inexpensive compared to a whole life policy, right? And so um, with a term policy, you can have a ladder term policy, which means you have a policy for 10 years, you have another policy for 20 years, and you have another policy for 30 years so that you're actually step laddering that so that your protection decreases over time, but hopefully you're increasing your assets um, over time and your requirement decreases, right? So this reduces your cost significantly. Um, why we prefer this to whole life insurance is that with whole life insurance, what you're doing is you're putting large chunks of money, right? Some of our members are putting in $20,000, $30,000 in there. And um, there are different terms, um, there are different conditions where, you know, you you do get some kind of guaranteed return, oftentimes as a floor and a ceiling, between 5 to 7% is what you're getting. You can borrow from it after a certain point. But what happens essentially is that you have a significant amount of money going in there and your returns from it end up being, this is based on my analysis, detailed analysis of what I've seen. Again, I don't think I'm an expert in the field, but typically your returns are somewhere between 5 and 7%, right? And they give you a range over there. Um, and you've, we've been talking about real estate. We've been talking about returns from other asset classes. Um, what I've found is that when you have a laddered term life policy and then you have, um, you know, um, 
and you have investments where you're generating significantly higher than 5%, you're better off with that than having a whole life policy, which is locking your money in to that, you know, confining you to the, that return limit. 5 to 7% is really not a lot in the grand scheme of things. And over time, we talked about how if you had, a like we talked about um, Jack Bogle's numbers, right? If you had a portfolio with 7% return over 50 years, versus 5% return over 50 years, you're seeing a 67% reduction in returns in a portfolio that's two per, has a 2% lower uh, rate of return, right? So that's huge. That's huge. And that's why oftentimes it makes sense to just have a term policy and then take that difference between what you're investing in a whole life versus a term policy and investing the difference um, basing, based on your asset allocation plan that you came up with at the last episode, right? So that's what I want um, you to focus on. That's what I want you to take and think about when you're trying to uh, vet different life insurance policies. And I do this with friends all the time, even those who are in their 40s who are going through the same challenges. So those are just a few pointers based on my analysis and based on my opinions. Again, this is completely educational. I am not a financial advisor, but that is uh, what I believe in. And um, that's what I like to talk about. Now, the other thing you want to think about in terms of protection is always going to be having a living or revocable trust and a pour over will. And what this helps avoid is it helps avoid probate if in the event that something happens to you where your family then is spending a lot of time and money resolving things and, and so this is always something to think about um we uh you know uh, if you're trying to find a uh you know a good attorney who works nationally who can assist with this uh you can shoot us an email we can connect you to someone but uh you have you can i'm sure you have local attorneys if you have a plan through your company some sometimes your company can have attorneys that they're contracted with who will uh, help you with this. Just make sure. What I've noticed sometimes is when you go through your um, your hospital or your employer, they are incentivized to build a different kind of trust, not necessarily a revocable or a living trust. And they may uh, that may not be in your best interest. So make sure that, that the plan that you come up with is actually a, uh, um, a revocable trust with a pour over will. And oftentimes there's a living will in there that dictates what your healthcare uh, who your healthcare proxy is going to be, right? So that's, that keeps it comprehensive. So that's in terms of protection. I noticed that you can't really just focus on investments without thinking about the protection piece. So that is really important. Um, as far as the next step is optimizing asset allocation, we talked about this multiple times, right? 90% of your portfolio returns is going to be based on asset allocation. So decide how you want to split your assets between stocks, bonds, commodities, real estate, cryptocurrency, um, savings accounts, and you know fixed income assets. Um, and then we also talked about if you're saving for your kids, if you have the ability to do a Roth IRA uh, versus a 529, if they have earned income, then think of a Roth IRA. This is what a lot of investors in real estate do with their children when their children help them in the business. You can pay them and then they get this triple tax advantage vehicle that they can withdraw from for college or for healthcare expenses or for a first home, right? That's something to think about. But in terms of asset allocation, again, um, 90% of your portfolio returns are going to be dictated by your asset allocation. So make sure you're very intentional about it. And like I said, ultra high net worth investors have about 50% of their investments in um, alternative assets like commodities and real estate. And the average investor has about 90% in stocks, uh, as opposed to the ultra high net worth investor who has less than 30% in stocks, right? So think about that. Be intentional. We talked about the returns across these portfolios. For stocks, you're looking at 10%, but it's actually a 4% safe withdrawal. For real estate, you're looking at 20 to, you know, upwards of 70, 80%, right? Depending on um, how you're investing passively versus actively, think about it and make sure you're intentional about your asset allocation choices. If you want to learn more about investing in real estate the right way, 
Join us for our three-day live event. It's generationalwealthmd.com slash event, lowercase. Love to see all of you on there. Now, and then if you're thinking about syndications, generationalwealthmd.com slash syndication, lowercase. Again, talks about our current offerings, um, and it's a great place to learn more about investing in syndications. We have a free guide on there. Now, the third thing I want to talk about is going to be dead money, right? So let's talk about dead money. What is that? Um, when you have cash, right, sitting in excess of your emergency funds, and oftentimes you don't realize this. I mean, this is a mistake I am super guilty of making. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure many of you listening are also making the same mistake. When you have cash in excess of your emergency funds, that is dead money. That is weighing down the ROI of your portfolio. And it's sometimes it's hard to see that because you're thinking, well, I'm putting money into stocks. I've invested in real estate. I'm doing great. But you have, uh, you know, if you have an emergency fund of six months of expenses, that's usually sufficient. And everything in excess of that ho hopefully is invested according to your asset allocation. So make sure you don't have you know, lazy money sitting around, dead, dead cash sitting around somewhere, right? This could also be cash within your retirement and brokerage accounts that you ha haven't actually invested and it's just sitting there. And sometimes you don't make those checks, you don't check it. Um, so it's it's nice to, you know, periodically go in there and take a look and make sure you don't have dead money sitting in your savings accounts, your checking accounts, or in your retirement and brokerage accounts. Now, it, the same holds true for your real estate. If you have investment properties or a primary residence, and you have tons of equity in it, like you paid on your debt, you have a 15-year loan, which I know people who do that, and you've kept tons of equity sitting there, that that money is not doing anything for you because your property price is increasing no matter what, right? And uh, there's actually lazy equity sitting in there. There are ways to tap into it. Again, join the 3D Live event. We talk more about all of this. So you want to make sure you're running your numbers right and you know that you're doing this right. But um, dead money, lazy equity in properties, those are areas where I see people slipping up where you think your portfolio is optimized, but it isn't. So think about that. Now, under and over rebalancing, when you, we created your investment policy statement, we talked about rebalancing, right? Rebalancing is important to periodically go in, look at your assets and say, okay, now this is where I want my allocation to be. Is that where I am? And you either shift things around or you uh, dynamically rebalance, which means you take new cash that's coming in and you push it into um, the asset that you want to have more up, right? And so sometimes I notice uh, this is very common, right? You under rebalance. So you're not going in and rebalancing as often as you need to. Um, and that's because it can seem overwhelming or just because you're not prioritizing it, right? Now, the flip side is over rebalancing. You go in, you see market cycles, you think, okay, we're at the top of the market. I'm going to like exit my stock portfolio, wait for the crash and then get back in. This is timing the market. Um, the chances of this working are very, very low, and there are studies and statistics to prove this. So the right thing often is to just not time the market, but to dollar cost average over time. Make sure you're putting money in at every part of the cycle, so over time you're dollar cost averaging. There have been studies done which prove that dollar cost averaging makes more sense. It's because in order to time the market, you need to be right twice when you exit and then when you re-enter, and oftentimes that is very hard to do, right? The other thing in terms of rebalancing and actually like optimizing your asset allocation is also dripping, right? So what is a drip? It's a dividend reinvestment plan. And what you do with the drip is that when you get dividends from stocks, uh, what you want to do is you want to set it up where those dividends get reinvested. There have been studies to show over a 40-year period, if you uh, started off and you did not reinvest, if your portfolio was stood at 400000 reinvesting it 
gets your portfolio up to 800,000, right? And that just goes to show that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. This is um, this is a common saying. Now, I beg to differ because I feel like leverage is the eighth, ninth wonder of the world because with leverage, you're almost 6xing your returns over time. Um, and this is why I'm a huge believer. I'm very bullish about real estate because it allows you to leverage other people's money. Um, and so again, like we're going to talk more about leverage. And you know, if you're thinking, how does leverage really six x your returns over time? Yes, it does. We'll talk more about it during the event. So I'll see you um, on the three day live event. That's generationalwealthmd.com/event lowercase. But overall, dripping and then the de- dollar cost averaging and rebalancing a portfolio appropriately are really important. We talked about fees in the past. If you are actively trading or if you're invested in actively managed funds or a target date fund that is actually actively managed and therefore your fees are higher, um, you can lose up to 67% of returns in fees. This is for Jack Bogle, um, founder of Vanguard. Um, or you know, um, 67% of returns can be lost because of a 2% asset under management fees um, as far as the stock portfolio co- is concerned. And if you're paying for superior returns, if your overall returns are higher, that is great. But less than 4% of managed funds beat the S&P 500. And so you're essentially paying for lower returns. So that does never make sense. So I would highly recommend going in and looking at the expense ratios and fees of the stock portfolios that you're in. Now, real estate is a different ball game as far as syndications are concerned. There are two ways fees are made. It's fees and splits. Uh, that's how operators make their money. Um, and you want to look at overall returns where you have the fees and the splits baked in. And then you also want to look at the risk profile of the portfolio. And you want to make sure that you are paying for higher returns. Um, and you want to make sure that the risk profile of the portfolio is aligned with your interests, right? Those are the two things you look at. So that's a different ballgame. But as far as the stock portfolio, know what your fees are, right? Know what your fees are. That's a big mistake that I see people make. I did this for my cousin recently. She was in a target date fund where her returns were... Um, so $10,000 would have made $33,000 in the S&P 500 if it, over that over a 10-year period. But 10, in her target date fund, uh, the way she had it allocated, it was making, a, it, it uh, went from 10000 to 20000 in 10 years, right? So significant, like almost a 50% drop in returns over there. We needed to see if that really made sense for her. We need to really look at the fees um, of that target date fund. So just make sure you understand what's happening in your portfolio and, and account for fees. Uh, we talked about tax inefficiencies last time. I'm going to quickly bring it up. You want to think about asset allocation and asset location, right? If you can tap into a backdoor Roth IRA, if it makes sense for you, if you're using post-tax dollars in a brokerage account, think about are you maximizing your backdoor Roth IRA before you do that. If you aren't, if you're using all your post-tax dollars for real estate, that's a different ballgame. But if you are using post-tax dollars in, and you're trying to put it into a brokerage account and invest in stocks, then think about a backdoor Roth IRA, see if you uh, can tap into that. And then REITs, debt funds, bonds, and high dividend stocks, they tend to have distributions and interest that gets taxed at your marginal tax bracket. It makes sense to have them in tax-advantaged accounts. If you have international funds, you want to have those in taxable accounts because you do get a foreign tax credit, right? So asset location becomes important there. But if you're thinking about taxes, guys, taxes, there are physicians in our community who are sheltering about a half a million dollars of their clinical income from taxes just because they are tapping into uh, real estate and the strategies that are there. So if you are interested in learning how you can save six figures in taxes, um, you know, um, then definitely join the 3D Live event. Um, and um, we go about that over that in detail. We have some of our 
uh, our, our members in the coaching program come in and talk about it also. I think it'll be super, super informative to at least know what's possible. I think it starts over there. I think taxes are our biggest expense, but it's also the one thing that we tend to take as a given and we're willing to spend that, um, to pay that. That's a, you know, it's a huge chunk that goes out. If you can keep that into your own pocket and reinvest it, the impact of that over time is just mind-blowing, right? So I want you to learn more about that. Join the three-day live event, generationalwealthmd.com slash event, lowercase, okay? Um, so that being said, um, um, you know, that's the end of this three-part series. I hope it's at least piqued your interest about real estate. When you run these different scenarios, when you're looking at your portfolio and if you're trying to learn more about real estate, if you're trying to see, okay, well, how do I get that 20 to 200% ROI using real estate. How is this even possible? If you're thinking about, you know, six figures in tax savings sounds pretty interesting, join us. Um, if you're thinking, you know, how are physicians getting six figures in income from a single property or say two properties, how is that even possible? A single short-term rental, two mid-term rentals. How is that even possible? And then join us. Um, we love to show you, we talk a lot about how you build a recession-resilient portfolio, even in the current market, with interest rates being the way they are. We're showing you how other physicians are doing this, and I'm super excited to, uh, you know, we have 3,000, 4,000, this time we probably have 5,000 physicians joining us for this event. Uh, it is just, um, it's a great, it's great to add momentum to your journey, and um, if you are thinking about making these changes, be it passive or active, whatever it is, I think educating yourself is the best way you can de-risk your portfolio. So definitely hop on, definitely join us, um, generationalwealthmd.com slash event, lowercase, and um, it's super, super high yield. Now, we're at the end of the three-part series. I hope this has inspired you to think about your retirement differently. I hope it's given you some ideas, um, actionable um, you know, um, plans that you can take out and really execute right now um, that will have a massive impact on your overall investing journey. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I love your feedback, so let me know um, what you think about it and let me know if you want me to touch upon other topics. I hope this was super helpful and um, I'm hoping, like for me, this process was really a shift that uh, completely transformed my life. I'm hoping um, it does the same for you. I hope you've been inspired by this episode and are ready to take action. Your feedback means the world to me. If you found value in what you heard, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate the podcast, leave a review, and follow the podcast. And if you really like the episode, share it with a friend. Your ratings, reviews, follows, and shares not only motivate me, but they also help others discover the show and join the community. So please share your thoughts. Let me know what you liked and even what you'd like to hear more of in the future. I can't wait to hear from you. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. And until next time, take care.